We've been talking about unlikely over the past couple of weeks, and I want to land that plane this evening. Unlikely time and place and people that God chooses to show himself. We find a passage like James 2. It's not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise, not many were influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose what? The foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things to shame the strong. We talked about the unlikely moments, the unlikely times and seasons when God steps in and does a thing. Galatians, the fourth chapter, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were made under law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And time is such a challenge for us. Right now, I've been in a dialogue with my internet provider. (laughs) You laugh. You folk down here in civilization that have like, you know, fiber. I'm working with about a three to five megabyte download speed. Oh yeah, we're right, we're just right on the verge of, you don't even know what that is. And they're trying to figure it out, but you know what? My wife and I are officially off of Netflix in the evenings because it doesn't work. Timing, speed, it's always an issue for us. It's never as fast as we want it to be. And yet, God many times, he waits. He waits to ensure the natural is impossible. To manifest the supernatural through himself. And whether or not it was waiting on Lazarus to be real dead. A lame man at the pool for 38 years. Or himself. Laying in that tomb to ensure everything. He wasn't in a coma. He was dead. God will wait. Many years ago, prior to being in ministry, I was, my, my wife and I were in business. And I wasn't a good businessman. We had come to the end of the year and I got a tax bill. And the tax bill was for one-third of my entire annual salary. (laughs) I had yet to to break 30 grand a year. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And I remember opening my federal tax bill. I don't even know how I did it. And I opened it, and I had a Sarah moment. I laughed. I did. I just laughed. My wife says, you've gone insane. I said, yes, I have. I said, you know why? We're done. We're finished. We're ruined. I have not. There's no way that I can't. No. All I could do was laugh. I said, because now I'm done. I can't fix this. I can't borrow this. There's nothing I can do. God has to do something. Within six months, not only was the tax bill paid in full, 
My business debt was paid in full. Our personal debt was paid in full. I sold my pathetic little business and went into full-time ministry, which I could not have done unless God had showed up. But let me just tell you, I had prayed over finances many times prior to that. But God said, now, you real dead. Now I'm going to show up and I'm going to show off. Unlikely time. And then unlikely places. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now I made a comment about New Jersey last week and some of you came up to me. And you said, ah, I'm from New Jersey. So for those of you that were, your sensibilities were somehow rattled by my reference to New Jersey, my apologies. It's a lovely state, except for your airport. That's not lovely. But can any good thing happen in this place? God can't do anything here. Many people have declared that over our nation. God can't do anything here. And yet God and can't don't belong in the same sentence together. It's theologically inaccurate. But it's in these unlikely times, these unlikely places, when man has completely messed it up, then God says, okay, now I'm going to be God. And we looked at some similarities last week between first century Palestine and the 21st century where we find ourselves right now, politically, economically, amazing. And we look at the juxtaposition, the place in which we find ourselves, very similar to the place where Jesus appeared to us on this planet, a place of obscurity and humility. Maybe you feel like that's where you are right now place of hostility. Ancient Palestine was a pretty hostile place to God's chosen, not unlike today. Maybe you found yourself in a place of isolation. Many times it's in the desert that God prepares. He has provision for us, protection for us as well. And that unlikely place is the very, it's the most likely place where God is probably going to show up. I told the story last week of my busted rental house on Jefferson Street in North Carolina. Yes, the one with the open sewer underneath the house and the muffler pipe, which was the railing for the front porch. Let me just tell you, it defined busted. And yet it was in that unlikely place that we found home for the next 10 years. Two blocks away from the busted house was the busted church building. An abandoned grammar school built in the 19-teens, literally, that had been abandoned, condemned and abandoned by the county. Someone in our church bought it in the city block that it sat on. And for the years following that, this busted building, and Pastor Brett saw the busted building because he would come and preach for me when I was pastoring that church. I hauled tons of plaster and bricks out of that place. When we first occupied it, you could, it had skylights. They were beautiful. 
You could stand on the first floor and see the sky, worship God. It was an amazing thing. And you are seated in the middle of a water park. Talk about an unlikely place that God would redeem and show up for. But tonight, I want to conclude and talk about unlikely people. Micah, the fifth chapter, verses 2 through 5. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites and he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. This was the prophet quoted in the second chapter of Matthew chief priests and the teachers, when inquired upon by Herod, who this boy was that everybody was talking about. And yet every one of us have been and remain, apart from Christ, unlikely persons of God's choosing an ongoing favor. And we all have stories of unlikely. Pastor Brett referenced some of his on Sunday. The son of a dentist who was supposed to be a dentist. A biology major. Not a minister of this gospel. My own story. Unsafe parents. Did the best they could. Raised me morally. Whooped me when necessary. Obviously not enough. Talk to my wife. They tried unsaved, divorced, a musician by training and by trade, which means, honey, I don't know how I'm going to feed you. (laughs) Strange trajectories for a budding prophet. Who would have thought? I still can't really explain to my mom what I do for a living. How do you tell your unsaved 80-year-old mother, "Um, I hear from God and tell people about it? Right. Not even the hint of potential. And even where there's a mention of potential, many times it's a kind word for unlikely. You've heard me talk about potential before. That word meaning he could, but he's not. But, you know, potential is also sometimes used interchangeably with, I don't think it's going to happen. I doubt it very seriously. And we have a pretty good list just from Scripture of the unlikelies. Abram and Sarah, too old. Moses, a murderer, fearful, an anger problem. David, problem with the ladies. Peter, a coward and betrayer. Saul, persecutor of the church. And we give God all the reasons why not when he comes to us. Speaking to Jeremiah in the first chapter, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. And I said, God, 
I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. The Lord said, do not say, I am only a youth. If I had time to unpack it, could I submit to you that you could fill in a whole lot right there? As God comes back and says, don't say you're only. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And he reached out and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said, I've put my words in your mouth. We say, why not? God says, I knew you. I consecrated you. I appointed you. I'll send you. I'll deliver you. I'll touch you. And I'll give you the words to speak. Consider the angelic encounter and assignment with a young virgin. Mary asked a question in her heart. Me? We don't see it in scripturated, but that had to have been the first thing besides, am I going to die? But that had to be the kind of, huh? Me? Really? But the second question we do find in scripturated, how does this work? And we ask the very same questions today as God comes to our unlikely person. And yet he always defers the question, not to one of how, but to whom. You see, we want the mechanics. We want the specifics. And what God wants is the simplicity. You don't need to know all of that. How many of you think we want to know? Trust me, you don't. Oh God, just show me the next 10 years of your life. I'm like, ah! And I trust God in this blessing out there. But there's some other stuff that's going to come along the way. And I just soon not know it. Hmm. We want to focus on self. Everything that we aren't. Or maybe sometimes we think we are. And God says, I want the focus back on me. And we see Gabriel's visit in that particular moment. We find an important distinction as he speaks to Mary. He doesn't say that the Lord has found favor in her. It says that God has found favor for her. She is a recipient of that favor. I'm always fascinated with Mariology, with you know, what, what our Catholic brethren believe about Mary. So I did a little study. And the oversimplification is that God loves some more than others. It's believed. God loves some more than others. And that because of this choosing for immaculate conception, she is the most loved among humankind. Now that's perhaps, if you're Catholic here, then you can correct me later, but that's an oversimplification of this central tenet of the faith regarding Mary. Was Mary special? Absolutely. Yet I would submit she was probably not the only pure virgin in Palestine at that particular moment. But there's one word that becomes critical for you and I to hear tonight. It was not favor in, but favor with. Not favor in, but favor with. And this is the place where most often 
We simply are not able to transcend that which God wants to do in our unlikely. The improbable for the possible and the possible for the possession of his promised. And Mary is highly favored because she is a recipient of God's grace. It's interesting, if you look at the combination of words occurring here, this combination and the use of this verb is only used in one other place in the New Testament. It's in Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 4 through 6, which says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Let me help you. If God chose you before you existed, how in the world could he have chosen you on the basis of that which you had done or not done? For he chose you before the creation of the world, before any favor could be found in you to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us in love. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Listen to this. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This is the same language that Gabriel is declaring to Mary. I've chosen you. I've freely given you something here. And yet the grace in view in Ephesians is that which is given to all believers apart from any merit of their own. And then the Lord is with you. Reminiscent of the language of Gideon's angelic encounter and assignment. Gideon did exactly the same thing you and I did, or you and I often do. All the reasons why not. Judges chapter 6, verse 12, the angel came and appeared. The Lord is with you. Listen to the language. And then he adds this little phrase, mighty warrior. If there's anything Gideon did not see about himself in that moment, it was mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. The same greeting that the angel brought to Mary. Gideon said, how? There's a question. There it is again. How can I save Israel? My clan, the weakest in Manasseh, I'm the least in my family. What did God say? He didn't answer the how. He answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. How did he answer Gideon? I will be with you and you will. I will be with you and you will. You'll strike down all the Midianites in one place. Gideon finally realized it was the angel of the Lord. This was after making a sacrifice. And he says, Sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. God said, peace, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. And like Mary and Moses and ourselves, Gideon recounted all the reasons why he couldn't. But they all quickly realized who they were not and how unlikely it was that God chose them and might use them 
Same thing with you and me tonight. Well, pastor, you don't know my life. You haven't peeked into my family background. You haven't taken a look at my bank account. You haven't seen the fact that I don't even know where my Bible is in my house right now. You don't know what I peeked at last night on the computer. Unlikely, yes. But the very place that God wants to show up. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. There is no one holy like the Lord. We used to sing this song. There's no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. He goes on in verse 3. He says, don't keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. See, to the extent that we think we're likely candidates for God's favor or blessing is to the extent we really don't understand it at all. One theologian put it this way. Mary was not loved because she was chosen. She was chosen because she was loved. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, we're all unlikely to be chosen. Whether the son of a dentist and a biology major. Whether a musician and a business owner. We're all unlikely. Equally unworthy and unlikely in and of ourselves to continue to be of usefulness to him. And at this moment in this message, it would be so easy to morph this message into how to be a more likely people for God to move through. And hear me, saints, we certainly don't have to purposefully remain unlikely. Romans chapter 6, Paul writing, What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No, we died to sin. How can we live it any longer? You see, as response to grace, we allow his power to transform our lives. But it remains incumbent upon us to keep him in that place of focus and priority. See, how many times... We get the whole thing turned around. Well, God, somehow, if, if, if I do this, then certainly you'll do this. It's like some kind of Holy Ghost karma. How many of you know God doesn't deal with us on the basis of karma? God deals with us on the, on the basis of his love, his mercy, and his grace. That's the basis by which he deals with mankind. And regardless of how long you've walked with God and how spiritual that you think you are right now, whatever your definition of that term is, let me just tell you, it's still unlikely that a God who is the way that Scripture defines him to be as holy, perfect, and outside of Christ, inapproachable, Every encounter that mankind ever had 
whether a theopany with God or an angelic visitation, always wondered whether they would live through it. And not so much what they were doing right or wrong in their life, but because they were struck by the majesty and the holiness and the perfection of this God. We have a song that we used to sing years ago. I am a friend of God. Anybody remember that song? We love that song. It was great. We liked that song because the white folks could do their Hebrew hop with that song. Because that's all we got. You understand? See, the song's changed, you know, and so we're, I'm sorry. I am a friend of God. What's a fun song? It's tuneful. And yes, we are a friend of God, but somehow when we trivialize that, then we fail to recognize and acknowledge the encounter that the ancients have with God. Places that you can go right now and play hide and seek with angels. There's a place on the West Coast that you can do that. Seriously. Now, there may be something spiritual that they're playing with. I'm not sure they're angelic angels from God. I said this the last two weeks, but I need to say it again. It's always in spite of, not because of, that God uses the ordinary to exhibit the extraordinary. It's in spite of. He divinely uses the unlikely to make known the absolute uniqueness of his person. Unlikely. The unlikely juxtaposition of time, place, and persons. And we come to a moment like this, this season of the year, and one rarely ponders a child's death concurrent with his birth. I don't know that that's ever an emotion that runs through a mother beholding her child for the first time. And it seems like with all the warm fuzzies and the gifts almost bought and the tree up and we're going to go have cookies and go out to the manger and it's just such a warm pastoral moment. You can almost hear the flutes playing in the background. It needs a soundtrack. And yet, it's the juxtaposition of these unlikelies that have to come together for us. Because it would take not only a divine arrival in the incarnation, but then a divine departure of crucifixion and resurrection of this unlikely Nazarene born to this unlikely couple to perfect his work in you and in me. It's the way it's always worked and it's always the way it will always have to work. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, there's that word again, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At just the right time.
Have you ever wondered, God, why, why, why did I have all those years? Why did I mess all that up? All this, all this funk that's on my life from, from all of that, why? I don't know. It's not unlike Mary asking how. Asking God that question, well, I don't know why. Except it's very clear in Scripture at just the right time. Unlikely, unrighteous, dead in that state and without recourse to do anything about it. Nothing you can do. Dead people cannot act upon themselves. And that's the state we find ourselves in. But it's in that unlikely moment, both to and for all of us, who received this offer of grace, that Christ did what he came to do. And we're going to come to this table together here as believers here in just a moment. But before we do that, I want us to bow our heads. This is not just a moment that we come together once a year with our battery candles and we do our, quote, candlelight, candlelight service, but this is a moment of transaction. And maybe you came here tonight, maybe someone grabbed you and said, you need to come with me. This is why you came. Said, I'm the most unlikely person to be sitting in a church on a Wednesday night. No, you're not. You're right where God planted you in this moment. In this unlikely place that used to be a water park. This unlikely date and time around a bunch of folk that maybe you don't even know who they are. You're that unlikely person that Christ died for and chose in advance. And if you're here tonight and you've never had that moment that you've received this offer of grace, you know your life's messed up. Just don't know how to fix it. Great. God does. And if you've never had a moment that you've allowed Christ to step into your life, Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's the first step. And if that's you here tonight, raise your hand. Anybody at all? Anyone at all? See that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. If you raise your hand, just slip it down. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I acknowledge that I've lived a life far from pleasing to you. Forgive me. Heal me. Come into my life, and I'll live with you and for you. Amen.